The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So let me just briefly introduce the three of us. I'm Chris Clifford. We're all from IMC in the Bay Area in California. So I'm Chris Clifford and Jennifer Lemus is, want to say hi, Jen? Hi, I'm Jennifer. Kind of waving. Good to see you all. And David Cohn. Hello, nice to see you. Yeah, so the three of us taught a class on the Paramis last year and we enjoyed it very much and decided to just continue for a few more months with a sort of related topic. Mm -hmm. so. so, so welcome to this class on the eight worldly winds. Um, sometimes it's translated as the worldly vicissitudes or the worldly condition, the worldly ups and downs, you know, all that stuff that happens that probably brought most of us to practice one way or another. So we thought maybe as kind of a follow-on to our Paramis class, although you don't need to have taken that, just deepening equanimity, deepening wisdom, deepening our relationship to the truth and to all these wonderful qualities of energy and patience that are needed to work with these ups and downs. So we're just going to kind of take a look at what are some of the basic fundamental Buddhist teachings that are that help us face all these things. So it's an interesting time right now in California, as I'm sure you've all heard. We're we're having uh, nature is in full force. All the elements are acting up one way or another: air and fire, <laughs> wind. Not the earth yet. We'll we'll hold off on that one. I hope. But uh, so. Um, so that's what this class is going to be about. And I thought we'd start with a little bit of a meditation, as we usually do in these things. So let's take just a few minutes and really explore grounding and centering and an expansive state of awareness. These are our best friends in working with these winds. What's it like to be a tree with deep, deep roots that isn't blown around by the wind? The strong central trunk, flexible, flexible branches, leaves that turn and reach every direction, taking in the sun, taking in the air, a whole root system that goes way down into the ground and gets all the nutriment that it needs from deep within the earth. So just feeling your feet on the ground. Feeling that connection to the earth. Feeling the connection of your bottom with your chair, your seat. Just having this gentle background intention of grounding and centering. And 
way to center is to kind of sense both sides of your body equally at the same time. So maybe both of your hip, both sides of your hips. Kind of be in the center and yet aware of the periphery. And letting the belly settle open. And letting the whole diaphragm rise and fall. Expand on all sides, relax back. And just checking in with your heart. How are you feeling this morning? How are you? How are you in relation to this whole field of experience at this moment? Acknowledging that. Being supported by your whole spine in a natural alignment rising up from the support of your seat. And your shoulders able to relax and rest on that support. And maybe again, sensing both shoulders centered, but all around aware, taking in the whole periphery and the whole expanse of your experience while staying centered and grounded in your own internal space. In that same way, letting the arms relax and maybe feeling both hands. Maybe some tenderness where your hands meet and touch the rest of your body. Your neck relaxed. Your head relaxed. Letting those thinking muscles relax. Maybe aware of both eyes. Again, maybe kind of balancing awareness of the outer corners of both eyes, both temples, both ears. So there's a sense of spaciousness and openness in the face and head. Taking in the whole body, this sense of the whole body from within as much as possible, being embodied, grounded and centered, connected to the earth, 
connected to your heart, connected to your belly. Not so easy to blow off center, not so easy to tip over. Maybe like one of those sand-filled dolls, clown dolls that kids have where you push it over, but it, it comes right back up. It's got that resilience. And from that centered and grounded place, a broad awareness of the whole field of physical sensations, the whole field of emotional responses. How are you responding to what's happening right now? How are you? How are you? Keeping that in mind. And the whole field of awareness, aware that you're aware, aware of presence, aware of being connected and grounded. And now let's just sit here for another minute and do nothing. Don't think of it as meditating. Don't think of it as doing anything. Just sit here for a minute. Take the instruction as do nothing and just see what happens. So our plan for the day is that I'll give an overall introduction to the subject and say a little about it. And then Jennifer will dive into our first pair, the fundamental pair of pleasure and pain. And we'll have a breakout group. And then David will share his thoughts on, on the whole project. How to, how to work with this and we'll have another, maybe we'll have another breakout group. So we'll have a break in there somewhere. So that's our plan for the day. So uh, the topic of this course comes from two particular discourses of the Buddha that are in the, the Anguttara Nikaya, it's the numerical discourses. And I thought it might be interesting yeah 
it's fairly short, to just begin by reading that. It's the main teaching on this subject. This is a shortened version of it. I've cut out some of the repetition. Monks, these eight worldly conditions spin after the world, and the world spins after these eight worldly conditions. Which eight? Gain, loss, status, disgrace, censure, praise, pleasure, and pain. We're taking them in a slightly different order. For an uninstructed, run-of-the-mill person, there arise these eight, gain, loss, and so forth. For a well-instructed disciple of the noble ones, there also arises gain, loss, status, disgrace, censure, praise, pleasure, and pain. So they even happen for the well-instructed disciples, the well-practiced people. So what's the difference? What's the distinction? What's the difference between the well-instructed disciple and the uninstructed run-of-the-mill person? I can identify with both of those. I'm an uninstructed. I'm an instructed, but I'm a pretty run-of-the-mill person. <laughs> anyway. Um, so here's the answer. Pleasure, for example, arises for the uninstructed person, and he does not reflect, pleasure has arisen for me. It is inconstant, stressful, and subject to change. He does not discern it as it actually is. His mind remains consumed with the pleasure. He welcomes the arisen pleasure. And as he is thus engaged in welcoming he welcomes the pleasure and he rebels against the pain. So as he's thus engaged in welcoming and rebelling, he is not released. I tell you, he is not released from suffering and stress. Okay. But now pleasure also arises. All of these arise for a well-instructed, well-practiced disciple. But that person reflects pleasure, etc., has arisen for me. It's inconstant, it's stressful, it's subject to change. He discerns it as it actually is. His mind does not remain consumed with it. He does not get involved in rebelling against pain, loss, censure, and so forth. He does not welcome the arisen pleasure or rebel against the arisen pain. And thus he abandons welcoming and rebelling. And he is released, I tell you, he is released from suffering and stress. And then there's a little poem after in another close by sutta. And the heart of this poem is, again, that these things are subject to change. And knowing this, the wise person, mindful, ponders these changing conditions. Desirable things don't charm the mind, and undesirable ones bring no resistance. So that reminds me of a line I read recently from Ajahn Chah in his earthy way. He's telling people, don't get drunk on pleasure and pain. <laughs> Just don't get drunk on it. You know, it happens. Pleasant is pleasant. Unpleasant is unpleasant. But don't get drunk on it. So how can we put down these deep roots of wisdom so that we're not blown around by how our mind interprets these circumstances and shapes them into those eight worldly conditions and then proliferates from there. 
So we will be looking in this course, we'll be looking at it two different ways. We will look at each of the specific pairs over our four weeks together and talk about some specific ways of working with them. And we'll also look in general at the winds in general and how to work with this, this back and forth of what we want and what we don't want and liking and not liking and wanting and not wanting. So there are some, a lot of generalities in how to work with these. So um, also, I wouldn't be too closely wed to this particular list. You can think of your own dualities, you know, success and failure, health and illness. You know, any time the mind is conceiving of a pair of good and bad sort of absolutes and making, making strengthening that distinction in a way and going with diving into that, you're involved in working with these kind of winds in a not so skillful way. And we can step back and see how the mind is working. So what we can learn to see through our practice is very deeply how are we using our mental faculties, especially the faculties of attention, intention, and what's called sankara making, fabricating, as Tanisaro, Ajahn Tanisaro translates it. I like that translation. What are we fabricating? How do we use these things to interpret our experience and then dwell in mentally created worlds? So back in that meditation, I don't know, maybe you got so settled that you just stayed settled, but maybe you noticed that your mind, under the instructions of do nothing, that your mind started to wander, started, got caught up in something, you know, what the temptation, oh, here's a chance to get up and get a cup of tea or, or just a thought about what am I supposed to do now? What does that mean? Do nothing. You know, immediately we get caught up in something. So just starting to notice, just starting to notice how that works. What is it to just stay with that grounded, centered, open awareness state so that we can see the very beginnings of the rustling in some of these winds and decide to work with it skillfully? So one of my favorite teachings that I'll just comment on a little in this introduction is the teaching on recognizing the gratification, the danger, and the escape. And the Buddha mentions this trio in several different discourses. There's no denying that experiences of pleasure and gain and praise and all those things you could put on the positive side, there's no denying that they're temporarily gratifying. They're, tempor they're pleasant. We like them. <laughs> so we don't start by denying that. We need to start by exploring that and really appreciating what is it. You know, there is a kind of gratification in, in mentally planning how to fix every discomfort, how, to, how you're going to argue with people you disagree with, you know, how you're going to shift blame to somebody else. It's, you know, sometimes gratification is like scratching an itch where it feels good for just a second and then it hurts again you have to do it again you have to keep doing it and it's kind of it's got that kind of addictive quality to it where you can really see the impermanence of the pleasant and unpleasant very closely together sometimes it's more like taking a nice nap you know or having a sweet little fantasy and it's lovely but then you wake up and it hasn't solved anything <laughs> there you are again back and back with whatever it was 
you know, and sometimes the cause and effect is very distant. I've worked for a long time with the pleasure of eating something in the afternoon and then being not feeling well in the middle of the night. And the mind has a hard time putting that, that together as, the, as a related example of impermanence of pleasure. So, you know, it's taken some effort to try to associate those things in my mind. So it's really good to look at what are we getting out of it? Because that's how we begin to see the true nature, the true kind of illusory dead-end nature of what we think we're getting out of it. You know, maybe we see how short-lived it is. Maybe we see how we're really expecting more out of it that it can really give us. We might sense what deeper longings, anxieties, maybe some buried grieving process that really needs to be more fully felt and acknowledged and not just always swept away by some wind of watching TV or something. So we can look at that and we can learn to see how this particular gratification might be short-circuiting, learning some deeper resources, accessing some of our deeper resources. So always planning how to protect ourselves from every discomfort and endlessly scheming about how to buy more and more, in my case, air purifiers, <laughs> things like that. Maybe here in California, we're having some winds these days. But, uh, you know, maybe we're not learning the more reliable ways, the more long-term, all-purpose, any-condition ways that where we can really find ease in the midst of whatever's happening. The thing about these wins is that buying one half is leaving you believing, investing, over-investing in the positive half is leaving you very vulnerable when the change comes to the other side. So I'm sure you've all had the experience of being pretty hooked on praise, you know, or approval or something like that. And then, you know, live by the sword, die by the sword, as the saying goes. If, you're, if your well-being is that dependent on the opinion of others, then you're very vulnerable to the extremely transient, complex, every which way opinion of other people. So finding again, finding that center and that ground that is transcendent above all of these winds and gives you a perspective to see them in their true nature. So often a sign of gentle, patient persistence Awareness is enough to loosen the grip of whatever's, whatever's pulling us. But sometimes we need to step back and very actively collect our wisdom and our strength and reflect on our best understanding of what's good for the long run and really try to kind of pull ourselves together and pull our attentional, intentionality together. Let our wisdom inform what we're doing with our attention in this moment really step back and make a decisive shift. And it's very, it's very important to, in meditation to keep working with that grounding, centering, stabilizing, relaxing, and learning to appreciate that. And then learning to see clearly when you're caught up and involved in one of these things, how you've sacrificed that, how you've lost that. And then using that, some of these touchstone experiences that probably you've all had if you've been meditating for a while, of how beautiful it is to be present and open and relaxed and grounded. And just really bringing that to mind and bringing the transient 
involvement and worry in comparison to what it is to be be that centered. And it takes a long time. Habits are very slow to change. I love this story. I just uh, went to Ajahn Tanisaro's day long on Saturday. It reminded me of an old story he tells that I really love about changing habits. Where apparently some people had a goose and they trained it to go in the door and go into the kitchen on the right and find some food there. And so it did that. It was very well trained. Then they moved the food to the top of the stairs over on the left. So the goose would come into the door, go into the kitchen. Then first time, of course, it had to look all over. But then it finally learned how to climb the stairs, found the food. Next time it came in, went to the kitchen. Hmm. Went back out, remembered how to go up the stairs and went up the stairs. Next time it went in, went to the kitchen, very quickly turned around and went up the stairs. Then it would come in and just kind of go a little way toward the kitchen and then go up the stairs. Finally, it got to where it would come in, kind of shake a leg toward the kitchen and then run up the stairs. So I think that's a great description of how losing some of these habits goes. We get less and less involved and more and more quickly we remember what values we can cultivate without being completely immersed in in making the meaning of our lives being hanging on to gain and praise and high status and fame and pleasure and all the things that worldlings think are the meaning of life so it's a slow process so just quickly i want to say that you know, we were inspired to do this course out of the continuation of our study of the Ten Paramis. And I just want to read again that list because these are your best friends in cultivating how to work with the ups and downs of life. And these are generosity, virtue, morality, renunciation, or you just understand that as non-clinging, non-clinging to these winds, wisdom, energy in a way of persistent, keep trying, patience, truth, resolve. When you really have the ability to firmly resolve, I'm not going to indulge in this anymore. And kindness and equanimity. So in a way, this course is maybe a deeper look at how equanimity and the deeper levels of release can be cultivated by learning really the skill of not clinging. What's, what's, what is the skill of letting go, the skill of release, of non-clinging? How we develop wisdom by seeing the truth of how our minds get entangled in these things. And then we need plenty of kindness, we need patience, we need persistence. And resolve strengthens as we get more clarity and more skill. So the less we're obsessed by struggling with these dualities, the more clarity and the more energy we have for cultivating generosity and wise action in the world, which is what, what we all are capable of doing. So just one more thing to say about the class. We're going to send out a, a summary right after today, a summary of the teaching of the day and some reflections for you to work with during the month. And the reflections are really the heart of this course. So please take as much time as you can manage to take to work with those reflections in the course of the month. And then as a group, we'll have breakouts and so forth and discuss what you, what you observed 
in your own life over the month. So we're committing to one mailing a month. It could be that one of us gets inspired and feels like we have more to say, and then we'll feel free to send it out to you. But um, you can expect one mailing and possibly more a month from us during the course of these four months. Okay, so I would like to turn it over to Jennifer at this point for a deeper look at the fundamental pair of pleasure and pain. Thank you, Chris. And hello, everyone. A warm welcome to you all. I just want to check the um, level of voice. Uh, it, can you hear me okay? Do I need to increase the microphone? Okay, wonderful. Yeah, so I'm going to start out by bringing us back into the body. So inviting you to close your eyes for just a couple of minutes here. We had some beautiful words from Chris. Bringing the awareness back into the body now. Sensing into the support of the chair, the cushion that you're on. Seeing how your body is in this moment. And if there's any areas of contraction or any tension in the body, seeing as best you can to just soften that area. Maybe sending some breath into that area. And on your next exhale, just noticing the opportunity to let go on the exhale, to rest to drop the awareness into the body. To drop the awareness into the present moment. And now just checking in from an overall broad brush viewpoint. How is it for you right now? Do you have an overall sense of 
feeling things are pretty pleasant, comfortable, easeful. Or is there some more agitation in the body, restlessness, maybe some aches and pains in the joints and Are you feeling more just okay, pretty neutral? And then on the next exhale, and whenever you're ready, opening up your eyes, coming back to the room. So as I was preparing for our class today, oh goodness, I was noticing that <clears throat> at least in, from my viewpoint, this is such a, a rich topic, a practical topic, <laughs> especially for what's happening in the world today. This idea of this pair of pleasure and pain. And of course, we all know that um, the problem isn't that there's pleasant experiences and the problem isn't that there's painful or uncomfortable experiences. Uh, the issue really is how are we responding to them? And I'm going to be reinforcing some of those things that Chris said. And um, I know for myself, I just personally need to hear things over and over and over again. And at times it really, uh, it brings some new insights depending on what day or what hour into what these teachings really mean. How mostly most importantly, how does this teaching really apply to me in my life? And how is it bringing me some freedom? Right? Because, again, the issue is not that there's pleasure and that we cling to it and that there's pain and that somehow we're running away from it. Um, but we know there's no freedom in that. So we know this intellectually. I know a lot of things intellectually 
but how, how do we work with this on the ground in our daily life, in our practice? The other piece about getting caught by these two opposing uh, experiences is that we lose our wisdom and compassion. They talk about the Dharma is composed of those two wings of wisdom and compassion. And I know for me, I have noticed I lose my wisdom for sure, even in the very pleasurable times. I actually make it a rule not to commit to things when I'm super, super happy <laughs> because I don't, I don't see very clearly. And there's also a reason for this term, love is blind, right? So sometimes when we're in this, uh, I'm going to use the word elated um, experience, our wisdom sort of gets, you know, chucked out the window. And similarly in the suffering, in the discomfort, in the stress, my wisdom and compassion uh, tend to not be as clear, not be as forthcoming. Some of you may have noticed this. So I want to start out by reading a verse in the Dhammapada, and it's verse number 8-3. Virtuous people always, that's a pretty strong word, always. Virtuous people always let go. They don't prattle about pleasures and desires. Uh, for those of us who aren't familiar so much with this prattle, it means like chattering on. So they don't go chattering on about pleasures and desires. Touched by happiness, and then by suffering, the sage or wise one shows no sign of being elated or depressed. Right? So these are really powerful words. This translation's by Gill. The sage or wise one shows no sign of being elated or depressed. And when I first read this verse, you know, I was sort of reading it fast and my brain said, the sage knows no sign of being elated or depressed. And I really like that too, because it's not just um, what we're showing to the outside world, but what's happening on the inside. And if on the inside, there's no sense of being elated or depressed. Wow, how inspiring. Um, so this is meant to be an inspiration, by the way. <laughs> Not, oh my gosh, I can never live up to that, right? Because um, the fact is that we are human beings and we have this, we have this tendency to... You know, I, I even see it when I think of a, a baby being born, right? 
from the very moment we're born, we were in this nice, warm womb and everything was being taken care of and we were nurtured and nourished. And the next thing we know upon being born, you know, ah, lights and people and, you know, it's, it's quite something, right? And uh, <laughs> I think that soon after, babies usually start crying. Um, and yeah, right, this is how it is. You know, we want that pleasant experience again. So this is very natural. So no guilt, no shame. Um, my hope in our class today and, and the remaining classes is that this sparks a sense of curiosity and a sense of learning, learning about ourselves, really. How do we respond? And there's certainly a lot of typical responses that we have, but for example, I have been paying particular attention this past month to my responses to the pleasant um, or the pleasure and the pain or the discomfort. And um, I'm noticing some things that uh, are quite interesting. For example, I noticed that when they're big things like fires, um, I, I definitely tend to need, and it does depend on the topic, I, I need this sort of initial, ah, and then soon enough, I do settle down and adapt. And then I'm actually quite, um, quite still, not, not really blown around by the winds, but I'm noticing that initial piece is um, depending on the topic again, because as I'll talk about in a couple minutes, it really also depends on our own conditioning and the conditions. So this is, this is all good learning material. So I wanna talk about a little bit how to work with these two, pain and pleasure. And as I, talked about or asked you in the guided meditation, um, it's really a sense of in our daily life, checking in at times and noticing, recognizing, being mindful of, how is it for me? Am I feeling things are pretty pleasant, comfortable, easeful, peaceful, or am I irritated? Ugh restless, irritable, uncomfortable, painful, maybe even painful experience? Or is it, you know, somewhere in between that, that very broad spectrum? So this is the first step in working with all of the pairs, but in particular, this pair is this initial sense contact and all of the emotions and thoughts and proliferation that comes after that initial sense contact, which without some mindfulness, we don't see all of these moving parts. So the first, the first piece in working with these, these two, this pair, 
is, is our mindfulness. Now, um, one thing I want to say about this is when I was looking at, you know, what I, I wanted to talk to you about mindfulness and recognizing, naming it as the first place of uh, working with this pair. And the second that I'm going to talk about also is investigation, really unpacking what's happening for us. And what comes out of that is a, a little bit, and this is really about the micro movements, a little bit of softening, a little bit of ease. When we know, oh, this is, this for me, anyway, this is just unpleasant. I know how to work with unpleasant. Looking at this, what's the conditions? Oh, I'm really tired. There's traffic. I need to get somewhere, right? So these are the conditions. What is the conditioning? So I'll, I'll talk more about this in the investigation. But this sense that after these first two ways of working with this, that there's some energy flow, there's some softening. And when there's softening, the energy can start to flow a little bit more. Our wisdom starts to return. And what I noticed about these first three pieces is that these first three items are the first three in the seven factors of enlightenment. So this is really, um, I didn't plan it this way, but certainly you can see how the Buddha came up with all these lists. They, they really make a lot of um, practical, practical sense. So the first thing is to recognize it. So, and naming it. So I'm gonna, a quick example. I, my boyfriend and I went to the mountains a couple of weeks ago, all before the fires, by the way. <laughs> Absolutely beautiful. Um, just, you know, I, I love nature. Many of us do. I felt so happy. We were out walking every day, blue skies you know, perfect temperature, just lovely. And guess what? On the last day, even though I have had <laughs> many years of practice, I noticed my mind, oh, I think we should be staying a day, one more day more, right? In fact, and then my mind kept going from there. I have wanted to get a second home in the mountains forever. I really need to start looking into this. And I noticed this, right? So after a couple minutes, I started, I started laughing. Like, what is this? <laughs> this is exactly trying to keep that pleasure going, you know, just a little bit more. And if it's not a vacation, it's something else. And, you know, for many of us uh, who have been on a meditation retreat, how many of you, you know, the end of the retreat, you know, of course, when we used to be staying at IRC or any other retreat center, oh, I don't want to go home. <laughs> oh, is it the, really the last day now? I realize that sometimes it's the opposite, actually, and we're rebelling and we can hardly wait to get home because we just can't stand one more silent meditation sit. But it is like this. This is how it is with human beings. But being able to name it and see it is really powerful. That first step. 
it is as powerful as when we are in our meditation and our mind has wandered off somewhere and then suddenly we have that moment of, oh, and you're back again. And guess what? No problem. What's the, the instructions? No problem. You begin again. And the same thing with this practice of working with this pair. When we notice we've been rebelling or we've been clinging or we've been trying to escape or something around those, those types of behaviors, once we notice it, that's the powerful thing. We can name it and then we can begin again. And the second piece is the investigation piece. So if, if you do nothing more than recognize it, be mindful of it and name it, that's powerful in itself. Um, in fact, uh, I was telling, uh, I had a friend who sent me a text a couple of days ago and she said, I, you know, I just, I'm having a hard time dealing with this orange atmosphere that we have here. And my response was, because I was practicing with this, I said, I know, I'm noticing a lot of unpleasant, you know, just really noticing unpleasant is happening. And her text back was perfect because this is how it is, right? Because we're just human beings. Her text back said, yeah, but it's really hard to stop there, right? To stop there and just say it's unpleasant. But no, <laughs> what does the mind say? When is this going to go away? I can't believe this is happening. What, uh, you know, between COVID and this and, you know, the elections, I'm losing it. You know, so this is the whole proliferation that we have. So it is hard to stop right there. And this is why I want to talk about this second piece of investigation, which is on investigation is on many lists. Um, I like to really think of this as really unpacking and learning about ourselves. So the first, there's, I have some questions here. I'm going to just read so you can get the sense of um, where I'm going with this investigation. I know that many of you have, um, have worked with this practice of investigation, but asking ourselves when something's, when we're caught, when we're caught between the two extremes, what are the conditions right now? Am I hungry? Am I angry? Am I lonely? Am I tired? You know, keeping this in mind that our conditions really do impact our response or our reaction to what's happening. And keeping in mind also, so what's the conditions and what is our conditioning? Our conditioning, for example, for me, uh, I am an aversive type. So most of my immediate response is aversive. I'm, I'm pushing away. I'm trying to, as Chris said, where's the escape route, right? So this is, I, I know this about myself. Some people are the desire type where, you know, I see it a lot with extroverts. Oh, I'm going to be on that call. I'm going to go here. I'm going to do that. I want this. I want that. Let's, what about this? And it's a beautiful thing. I mean, you know, I'm not, if you're an extrovert, I'm not saying it's not a bad thing at all. 
It's just, you know, a tendency to notice in ourselves. Again, learning. Um, and the third is that there are people who are more in this kind of diluted state where, and I have this too, it's, there's confusion. It's, it's difficult to make a decision. You know, we're not really sure how we feel about something. Difficult to connect the dots, you know. So we all have all three of these, but there certainly is a natural tendency that we have when we're experiencing one of the extremes of pleasure and pain. So that's our conditioning. What is being believed? This is the investigation question. What is being believed? These are the stories that we're telling ourselves. You know, I'm not, I never was. I, I was meant to be, right? Whatever the story is that we have. What is my relationship to what's happening? And this is what the Utijinea style, you know, what is my attitude to what's happening? You know, hate it, love it, elated, depressed. What's my attitude? What is happening in my body? Now, this is so key. I, I would even say like, this is my first go-to in investigation because I can learn a lot about what's happening in my response by tuning into the body. Such a powerful source of wisdom. And also, as Chris said, a good question, what's the payoff? What's my payoff here? I'm noticing my response. What's, what's the payoff? So these are all, all of this way of naming and of investigating. This is all a way of loosening, softening up just ever so slightly. Sometimes it can be a big thing. I know for me when I say, oh, this is just unpleasant. I have confidence I can work with unpleasant. It's manageable, as Sylvia Borstein always says, it's manageable. This is a quote from Pema Chodron that I love that really shows about how the energy loosens when we have practiced these first two. She says, peace is the practice of softening what is rigid in our hearts. And I love this because we get rigid when we're on either of these extremes. And the softening happens, at least in my experience, with the mindfulness and with the investigation, with the softening of the energy and the flowing of the energy, and then a little bit of peace. You know, sometimes it's not a big shift, but there's a little ah, exhale, some space in between, some aware of what's happening. And I'm going to end with the two things. One is that it's very helpful with all the pairs, but in particular with pleasure and pain, 
to have one Dharma teaching that helps guide you through. So I mentioned mindfulness and investigation. And one of my other favorites is, and you know, I don't have this exactly probably right this, this teaching, but um, I saw somewhere a long time ago, um, fold everything into the practice. Transform everything into the practice. So no matter what is happening, transform it into the practice. And I did see, I got an email the other day and it said three words, politics as practice. <laughs> and I thought, well, there's a good one. Transform everything into the practice, including politics. So I liked that very much. And I want to also say that, you know, we're human beings, we're going to stumble. Um, sometimes things seem unmanageable, unbearable. I certainly have been a, a witness to, to that in the hospitals as a chaplain. Just absolutely in awe of what someone, the pain and challenges that people go through and they manage and they thrive. It's just inspiring. So it can be done and little baby steps. So I'll end with a quote before we go into our breakout session. Um, it's an excerpt from a poem from Kipling and the name of the poem is If, I-F. And it says, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat these two imposters just the same, then yours is the earth and everything in it. If you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat these two imposters just the same, then yours is the earth and everything that's in it. So wishing all of us some more ease and peace as we work with this pair. And the questions for the breakout session. And you can feel free to write them down. I can also put it in the chat in a minute. Jen, do you want me to set this up while you describe it? Oh, or? sure. Sure. Thank you. Okay. The breakout questions are to think about a time you were either clinging, well, think about a time that you were clinging to pleasure of some kind. You were in the wanting. So think of a time you were clinging to pleasure of some kind or a time you were running from or trying to avoid pain of some kind. 
which is the not wanting. And once you think about this time, you're going to briefly describe the essence of the situation and share with the group, how did you respond or react, right? We know the difference. <laughs> or how did you respond and react? And what helped you to relieve your suffering? So briefly describe the essence of the situation. How did you respond, react? And what helped you to relieve your suffering? Okay. And when we get back, um, you can all share whatever questions you might have from my talk and comments as well as your experience in the group. All right, so uh, since we were not in your groups, we would love to hear whatever you'd like to share about um, the conversations, what you learned, um, and also if you have any comments or questions about the talk before, certainly feel free to ask those or make comments on those or protests or and you can raise your hand in the participant section or if you also don't know how to do that i'll try to look for raised hands too Yes, Anne. So um, I just have to say that one of our group reminded me that impermanence can save the day. <laughs> and um, so my um, pain, it was the air quality issue, having enjoyed being outside for much of COVID time. And now sort of confined to base. And, um, you know, so it's very easy to obsess about how long is it going to last? What am I going to do? Can I even get out for a walk today? And then it's like, okay, impermanence, broaden, broaden the view, you know, think about another, broaden the view, basically. So that's my learning for today. Thank you. Thank you, Anne. Exactly. And, you know, we all need to hear that over and over and over <laughs> again. So I'm glad that you highlighted that for us. So Who Jerry would like Merrill. to share. Jerry oh, and Merrill have okay. their balloons raised. Okay. And then the Sonia and Mitra, I think. Okay. So, um, Jennifer, you were saying that you're an aversive type. Uh, I, for the last couple of years, have working in my mind when I want to proliferate and think um, that there's a difference between avoidance and aversion. Uh, and I don't, in my own thinking, the avoidance maybe comes from the not the desire not to become. In other words, not to be here type of avoidance. So uh, 
It makes me want to cry because after 65, 68 years on the planet, I still have a tendency when I start to, to feel too much displeasure, when the tape starts to just run, the tape that I'm quite familiar with, I shut down. And I feel good about that still, unfortunately. Very adolescent. Pump up, and, you know, with, with uh, me against the world type of thing. And the other day, we were reading at a, another online event, something from the terrors, from the nuns. And it was just a few simple words. And it got right to my heart. And it's not as if the displeasure didn't come back, but I realized how much more... Why do I keep holding on to the displeasure with an, you lose your heart. And when the heart opens, everything is so much more manageable, actually. So saying that to the other two receptive people was very helpful and saying it to myself. So. Uh, thank you so much, Jerry. And I'm glad that you shared that. And I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands of how many could relate to Jerry, but Usually in groups when we do, you'll see that there's a lot of people that can totally resonate with what you said. And so that's what I think is great about, you know, putting it out there. And absolutely, when the heart opens up, Pema Chodron, so many of her teachings talk about that. When that heart can open, all sorts of possibilities open up. So thank you. Well, and um, as just the feedback to your feedback, I, I really shouldn't probably say this, but the script really is that nobody likes me. So when you just said that, and also there's someone here, I won't say who, I see a few people sh shake, shaking their heads. It's like my heart opens and their heart opens, and, and the other script is, it's just, it's, I'm not like the goose who after three or four times stops running into the kitchen. I keep running into the kitchen no matter what. So, so, so we'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> great, great. Thank you. So, and who is next, uh, Chris? Uh, Mitra and Tanya have their hands raised. And, and Samia then, yeah. Samia, you raised your hand too, right? Yeah, okay. Okay, um, so Samia. Um, so I want to build a little bit on what Anne said. So expanding the horizon, sort of not just on time, but also with respect to humanity. Um, so, you know, there's, uh, I was noticing a focus on, oh, this is my problem. This is me, I'm suffering. Um, but then it helped to sort of expand that to say, well, there's a lot of suffering um, and there are several people suffering, not just, from the conditions that I'm experiencing, but there are so many other conditions that people are suffering with. So I think that really helped in sort of, again, kind of putting into perspective about the impermanence of things and also um, sort of making me feel like, um, like taking away the focus from just my own suffering of the moment. Mm. Thank you, Samia. Thank you. Yeah. And I know we are, I want to make sure we have time for everyone's question, but I would just say uh, to echo what you said is that we are all in this together. And that's one of the things that is happening with these tragedies, be it the pandemic or the fires, there's a sense of, you know, we're all going through something. 
Um, so I like what you said about it's not just me suffering. Okay, who was next? There was Nietzsche, but there was one other person. And then, uh, Tatiana. Tatiana, okay. So my question was... Oh, sorry. No, go ahead, go ahead, and then we'll have Mitra. Sorry, so I was wondering all these pairings of worldly winds that we have, pain and loss, gain and disrepute, it is a very common motivation, but we know where it leads. It leads to more suffering. So what would be appropriate motivation for us as a Buddhist if those common ones lead to no good? Yes, and thank you so much for asking because that is exactly the next section of the talk that David's going to address. So if you don't mind holding off for a couple of minutes, right after break, we're going to dive right into that. So thank you. <laughs> and Mitra, the last one before break. Okay, so um, in the group, you know, I saw just like me, the other two people in my group are also aversive towards pain and we all found a way to kind of see that and kind of get back on track I feel like a little bit uh, but a very something that I've been dealing with or thinking about for the last few years and never had the guts to ask is maybe I'm, I, a very elementary question is um we keep talking about seeing them and kind of eventually becoming equanimous to to it, to pain and to the joy. Uh, but in practice, I see that we teach metta and all these practices that look towards joy and happiness and all the good stuff. But I thought we're going to, we want to be, equanimous to good does that make sense at all i mean I, i'm confused because if i'm if i'm cultivating all this goodness i then i'm saying the bad is bad and i want to just be in the good part good place absolutely thank you for the question mitra and um we will be talking, David will be talking about that. But for now, I will say that um, the Buddha did in the teachings, there's, there are definitely a couple of approaches. There's many approaches, but one of them is working with what's actually happening now. And this is what I've been talking about, you know, how to be with it, how to work with it, how to be mm -hmm. mindful of it, how to investigate it. Um, in other words, we're not trying to change anything with it at this point That's in, my, in my talk. Right. Yeah. And the Buddha also in um, the whole Brahma Viharas is talking about cultivating the wholesome states, which is equally as important cultivating the wholesome states. Now this doesn't necessarily mean, although it could be, in response to something that's painful. But as many of us have experienced, we really have to 
discern for ourselves is something manageable. So for example, just from a physical pain viewpoint, if your pain is on a 10 out of 10, right? One out of 10, you know, in the hospital, they ask you what's your pain level. If you're working with a 10 out of 10, um, I would say really just going to some of the mindfulness practices may not be an appropriate response. And they've, we talk about that. So it's because the system needs some calming down and some cultivation of the goodness and the wholesome, right? Before we can then work with what's actually happening. And there's, there's a lot to this, but it's an absolutely, I've heard this question many times and it's a good one. And this is where so much discernment comes in within what is actually happening for you and is it manageable to work with or do we need to cultivate some wholesome right now? Perfect, I understand, thank you. Yeah. I'd just like to add that there's a sutta where the Buddha realized that these internal states that he was cultivating like calm and meditative concentration and loving kindness, that they were totally wholesome and there is no danger to those states. So he's really ta not talking about these internal states that we can cultivate, but really worldly in the sense that it's dependent on, your happiness is dependent on worldly conditions. Those are the ones that are dangerous, not these internal states that we do have relatively more ability to cultivate. Mm -hmm. So it's, can, I, can I ask, can I say anything? Mm -hmm. So it is not when we say, may you be safe, it's not the safety that we're after because you won't be safe. Nobody's ever forever going to be safe or healthy or whatever. So it's not that because I felt like if I'm saying that, then what happened to, you know, to my brother, then he's not, he's dead. So he's not safe. So why am I saying that? Um, so it's the, you know, sometimes I change that to say, may you feel safe or may you be free from fear, things like that, where we're really reminding that you're wishing that. Per but of course, you are wishing for that person to be safe. So in your own heart, if you if you had your way, of course, they would be safe. It's the opposite of wishing them harm, you know, but it, you're not clinging to it. So you're wishing you're also wishing them the wisdom to be OK with whatever happens. But you're also creating. Um calm in my own body from what Jennifer said so yeah. I can deal with the harshness right. of the reality. Right, right. And wishing that ability for others. Right, right. Yes. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. We should probably, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful question. So, so it is time for a break and um, a short break if you all can manage it. And we'll be back at what, Chris? Oh, I think, what do you think, David? Can we go 10 minutes? So so, okay. 10 after. David, 10 after. Be back, you know, a minute or so before 10 after. Be back promptly. You're muted, David. You're muted, David. I want to request that when you come back, I want to request two things. When you come back, could you bring something to write with and a piece of paper, like a pen and a piece of paper? And your homework, <clears throat> you didn't know you were going to get homework for this class. 
your homework while you're gone, while you're going to the bathroom or whatever you're doing, think about what do you want the most? What, what things do you want the most? What, what things are most pleasurable or meaningful to you? Uh, maybe think of four, six things like that, and then we'll come back and, and, and write those down. Okay. Welcome back. So, how many of you did your homework? <laughs> Anyhow, you can do it now. If you could use your pencil or pen and paper and write down four things or six things, whatever comes, comes up that, that you really want. Tangible things that you really want that are so important to you, that are meaningful to you. What does tangible mean here? What's that? What does tangible mean here? Material. Okay. What if what I really want isn't material? Um, go ahead and write that down then. But don't stop at one. <laughs> Worldly Winds has four different sectors of what we want. Focusing on the material right now, the tangible, that it could be other things too for this exercise. So, is anyone not finished? If you're not finished, could you raise your hand? Okay, so look at your list and consider your list. These are very important things to me. These are things that I really want. And I think about them. I dwell on them. Okay, now cross off two of them. Pick two. And now look at your list. How's that for you now? You don't have those two things, but you have the others. So how are you now? Feel that. And now, cross off all of them.
And now look at your list. How are you now? Feel that. All of the things on your list are unreliable, subject to change, and empty of any intrinsic meaning. You still have them now, but for sure, they'll be taken from you. Old age will take some of these from you. Sickness will take most of them from you, and then death will finish it off. It's so odd that we we create this system of hopes and fears. The system of suffering is inbred in our human value system. We create objects that are unreliable, subject to change and empty of meaning that we really, really hope for. And hope doesn't feel very good. And we're afraid that they'll go away. And fear doesn't feel very good. This is a lot of suffering. The Buddha's message, his first statement, when he was in, after he came out of his enlightenment uh, meditation was, human beings suffer. And this course, in a way, it, part of it anyhow, is about suffering. These worldly winds are one way to show really clearly how human beings suffer by wanting stuff, wanting praise, wanting someone to like me, afraid of them not liking me, wanting groups to give me some kind of recognition, some fame, being afraid of disgrace in a group, disrepute. You're, you're fools for taking this course. This is all about suffering. <laughs> but as Jennifer said, we to somehow free ourselves from the disease. Like a doctor, we need to look carefully at the disease to look what's causing the disease. <clears throat> Our normal <clears throat> go-to when what we're hoping for isn't working is to hope for something else, to try to change the, the playbook. As Gil says, to move the deck chairs around on the Titanic. 
not realizing that the Titanic is going down. So this human system that we create for ourselves, it's all self-created. It's all in our own minds. It's not who we intrinsically are. It's not how children are. But we create this, this human system of suffering. And we teach our children this human system to want to achieve. You're not perfect as you are. You got to have more friends, more money, more accomplishments to be worthwhile. And we internalize these messages. So let's look around at these different squares at all the people that are here. And maybe pick out one person. They won't know you're looking at them. And be aware that this person, just like you, suffers hope and fear. You're not the only one. It's true of him or her, too. And that this person, just like you, longs to be free, longs to be liberated from suffering. Take that person in, just like you, wants to be free of suffering. And how does that make you feel? Perhaps compassionate? And if you can look at your own square, and realize that you too suffer from hope and fear, and that you long to be free from your suffering. You long to be liberated from this cruel human cycle, this dog-eat-dog human system that just wants more for me at the expense of other people. It's always, it's a competitive realm It's a measuring realm, and we internalize it. We bring it inside of ourselves, and we measure ourselves and judge ourselves. Okay. So if you could assume some kind of meditative posture that's comfortable for you. With your spine loosely straightened.
and allow your eyes to close if that's how you like to meditate. And this exercise of breathing out fully calms us. It calms the parasympathetic system. It it engages the parasympathetic system. So please try this out. Take a deep breath in and let it all out. And this time, if you'd like to experiment further, take a deep breath in and shake your hands and shake your arms and shake your body and let it all go and relax. And maybe say to yourself these sacred mantras, who cares? It doesn't matter. It won't make any difference. And relax. Relax your whole body. Unhooking from the conceptual mind, unhooking from the hopes and the fears in our thoughts and coming into the body and softening the shoulders, softening the heart, softening the belly, aware of the back, the arms, the hands. Notice how everything is changing on a physical level. There are sensations in the hands. The blood flowing creates perpetual sensations in the legs, in the feet, in the eyes. And allow yourself to experience whatever you're experiencing. No filtering. Feel what you're feeling. If you are not feeling anything, be aware of that. If there's sadness, be aware of sadness. Yeah. 
if there's anxiety. It's okay. Embrace it. There's no contest here. If there's anger, let there be anger. Or if there's contentment, let there be contentment. Everything is allowed. Maybe we're stingy. Be stingy. Or jealous. And relax with whatever you're feeling. When we're feeling anger, there's really not a problem. When we're being fear, resting in fear, fear has Buddha nature too. It's not just a certain state that is valid. All of these conditions are part of us. And in this allowing, there's kindness. Can you be kind to, shall we call them your beautiful monsters? Mara is not going anywhere. Deceptions aren't going anywhere. We're always going to have ups and downs, like the waves in the ocean like the stock market. But we allow the waves. We don't get swept away by the river of our experience if we are aware of the river. in this kind allowing. There's some kind of ease, some kind of peace. 
some kind of okayness. Can you feel that, turning your awareness to some kind of just okayness with whatever it is? Maybe this is some kind of happiness. It's not the worldly happiness that we think is happiness. It's a different kind. It's a deeper happiness. I'm okay with this. I'm okay with this jealousy without getting too involved with the object. The mental proliferations around the jealousy, but just the jealousy itself is okay. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with my ease. This awareness is never agitated. The awareness is always calm and peaceful. This is a true refuge. a much deeper, wider, reliable refuge than someone's opinion of me or a group's reputation of me or that thing that I want or don't want or some success that are always changing. They're dreams. Just like when we sleep, we dream. Those are all dreams. Self-created sufferings. When have you ever been fulfilled by an object? So instead of trying to create different objects, we turn away from samsara. And we turn toward what is steady and reliable and full of meaning. and allowing the openness 
to all conditions and allowing the awareness to get bigger, extending the awareness into space. Science says we are space, 99% space, our bodies, 1% particle. And that 1% particle piece is 99% space. So letting our awareness mingle with space, boundless space, boundless in front of us, boundless to the right of us, boundless to the left of us, boundless behind us, above us, below us. This awareness is like space. Kind of empty. And has a kindness. Has a compassion. Maybe has an essential kind of love in its welcoming, allowing everything. We're no longer hollow. We're full and complete when there's no subject and object, no duality of me and the wind. This is befriending the wind and everything else that's complete. Nothing else is required. Okay, you can open your eyes now. So let's break up into small groups again and um, Discuss how this was for you. You know, we we fixate on what's on your list, what's unreliable, subject to change, and essentially empty of meaning. So instead of putting down six more objects to focus on, what in turning away from objects like the Buddha, The Buddha turned away from the world 
The Buddha had everything you can possibly want. Riches, fame, power. His father was a great king, had a family, pleasures everywhere in the castle. Sense, S-C, music, visuals. Lived a life of absolute, complete riches in terms of the world. And he turned his back on all of that and turned towards something else. Something that is... um, brings a more lasting well-being. It's the third noble truth. And uh, saints have done this. Many, many saints have done this, turn their backs on the world. And we turn our backs on the world when we turn toward what's best in us. So that could be a discussion. What internal resources can you rely on to nurture a more lasting, reliable well-being? Well-being, ease, peace, something like that, contentment. Something that is our true home. Okay? So we'd love to hear from you. Love to hear your discoveries, what you what you talked about, what you've been feeling about this, about internal resources that can be more that are more reliable, that bring you more well-being and than these ephemeral winds. So please just unmute yourself and we'd love to hear from you. I'll go, Amram. We had a wonderful discussion in our group and uh, some good insights. The area that I focus on is uh, when I look at the list, David, that you suggested, uh, one of the tools that I draw upon is contentment, right? And uh, it was a very simple term to start with for me. I've been in this path of less than four years, three and a half years plus. Um, first definition of contentment was uh, I have enough, right? That's where I started with. But I got into further and further teaching. It grew on me in the sense I can give it away. <laughs> Second is I can give it away. It doesn't bother me. And finally it gets to I can give it away and it gives me joy, <laughs> right? It's really understanding, taking the focus out of me and not only building contentment, but shifting myself to the outside world and what I can do. And I was in a high-tech career, very flourishing in whatever the world calls it successful career. I shut it down hard and retired when I was 58. And I said, enough is enough. And I need to take care of myself and take care of other things that are more important to me. And I scaled down my life and started to focus on other things and it's it's extremely rewarding in more ways than I even initially planned so again the tool of contentment and what I can do about it continues to work in me thank you yeah thank you 
generosity, the first parami. Great, someone else? Just speak up if you want to share anything. We've just got a couple minutes left. Love to hear a little more what happened there. I can say something. Um, I was with a couple of people who are long-term practitioners, and um, I I, I did it also clear. it, It came across that they... Their first uh, in areas of focus were not material ones, so I just take from that um, that a long-term practice in this kind of thinking maybe it does kind of you know push away the material concerns <laughs> so that you're not thinking about it first and foremost. So that was hopeful for me. Great, thank you. This is Wendy. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think in our group, I think there's something special in terms of um, that effect of sharing our own experience where we are on our path and then finding our way and hearing how each of us, maybe wisdom or compassion in the practice, things unfold. And I think that has a very um, inspiring effect for me to be a recipient of that. So, so. I just appreciated that container to share these things. Yeah. Thank you. Please. Hi, I'm Kate. Um, Like Jennifer, I need to... um, remember or hear these things over and over and hearing them all from in the large group and the small group and from your teachers today was uh, immensely beneficial. Uh, And I just want to express my gratitude. Thank you to everyone in my small groups, to all of you and especially to our teachers. Anybody else? Well, did you want to say something? Me? Or uh, someone? I thought someone. I, I, actually, I actually reached up to say something. I mean, I could talk for him. Yeah, I just... You know, I'm really glad we are having this uh, this group. Um, these, are, these have come up a number of times in my practice where someone would talk about them. And I'd go, wow, oh, that's sort of important to look at. And then I'd get involved with something else. There's something that happens in practice as social animals that we see these things arise. And 
you almost get pulled over like a paramecium or a magnet to like, wow, I'm feeling pride right now, or I'm feeling gain. And what is that? And I don't know if this is so healthy right now. And then I drop it or whatever. So I'm really glad we've, um, you've created this course to do this finally, and I need it right now in my life. So thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. Okay, well, thank you all for coming. Um, we've enjoyed you so much, and uh, may whatever wisdom has been developed um, about freedom, about liberation, about more ease, more peace in, in our lives, whatever has been liberated, whatever insights have opened us up a little bit today, may... may uh, May the good vibes of this proliferate and spread throughout the world to all, all beings everywhere. Okay. Thank you all very much for coming. Thank you, everybody. So great to see you. Thank you. Thank you.